sound of a robot coming to get us or get you or get me i don't know <laughs> and maybe if it was a little bit abstract and you didn't work it out that's cool because well I, I wanted to try and encapsulate the fear that we have about ai and that was the only way i could figure it out um but you know what i'm doing this episode because i believe ai has incredible opportunity and application in the fintech and insurtech sector to change so many of the hurdles to entry that insurtechs and fintechs face. So we did some searching and we found one of the most promising AI companies around, and that's Sprout AI. Sprout are backed by some really impressive um, VC names. They've got significant success behind them with some proven and painted technology, and they're doing some pretty exciting things. So having them on the show is going to be a great way for us to understand what is happening right now in the insurance sector with cutting-edge AI. And I'll leave you guys to think about how it could apply to other areas of fintech and other parts of insurtech for that matter. We've got the co-founder, Nils, on to explain how they've done it, how they built the organization, the challenges of hiring and retaining great talent. It's a great conversation, far-reaching. Nils is a great guest and really easy to like. So I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. And without further ado, I give you Niels of Sprout AI. Niels Tony, welcome to Talent Equals. Thanks for joining us. Hello, hello. Lovely to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, Niels, I've been really looking forward to having you on the show. You're CEO and co-founder of Sprout AI. Um, recently, I know, got listed in uh, 2001 awards for one of the most innovative insurtechs in the UK, which was great. Um, so yeah, exactly. Woohoo! So I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm interested in like really introducing the audience to what Sprout AI is first and foremost, right? Um, so yeah, tell us, I mean, what it is and why you called it Sprout to start with. Okay, um, so what it is, in a nutshell, so we help insurance companies bring back claim settlement times from 25 days on average to real time. Now, that sounds really boring, so let me just kind of talk you through the benefits that that brings to, to, to various parties. Um, as an end customer of an insurance claim, you don't think about this very often, but when you go through it, it's one of the most tricky times of your life emotionally, logistically, financially, for example, your house has burned down, um, you've been in a car crash, you end up in hospital on your holiday, really troubling events that you can't cope with by yourself, most likely. And at that time, the insurance company is supposed to be your guardian angel, help you out. Now, the, the status quo today is that they, they don't. I mean, they're, they're, they're not very good at that. It takes up to a month to basically sort you out while you know while in, in one of those very very vulnerable moments of your life um so what we do is we bring that back from that 30 days one month to real time which we've actually proven out with some some major global insurance companies and that what it does is it, it completely transforms the end customer experience so when you need it the most when you're in trouble we allow them to be there for you in real time and the good thing is you know great for the great for the end customer, which we're very focused on, but it also saves the insurance companies money, 
because it's quite an inefficient operation that that's being run sometimes. And we, we get to build a great business. So it's a win-win-win. Um, I call it, um, my board don't, won't like this probably, but I will, I'll call it um, capitalist charity. <laughs> uh, there you go. And and why is it called Sprout AI? Um, two reasons, really. So one is because we, we've got, we've, we've developed a proprietary method for OCR, patent pending, that is kind of unparalleled. And what it does is it captures way more, way more data that was previously, well, not being able to be captured, uh, dark data, and hence that be becomes a sprout, something data that allows other data to grow. Uh, the That's kind of the technical reason. The real real reason is I'm from Belgium and we we found it very hard to find a, a name. And so I said, you know, Brussels sprouts, I love them. So everyone here hates them. So I thought, thought it would be quite funny um, to, to call the company Sprout AI. Well, I mean, <laughs> which is really, yeah, really quite poor, isn't it? Well, no, I've got to say there's a, there's a love-hate relationship with um, Brussels sprouts in my household. Um, and as I can imagine, with claims in the insurance industry, there's a bit of a love-hate relationship, you know. Uh, the, yeah. Yeah, so uh, a lot of a lot of hate, yeah. a lot of hate. Yeah. But we're well, we're bringing back the love for like the black-eyed peas of of interest. <laughs> um. Well, hey, look, I mean, anybody who followed my my LinkedIn um, profile uh, during uh, the last couple of months would know that I've developed a bit of a hate with one of my insurance companies who provided my health insurance because my wife had a a physical accident, a, a head injury. And I can't tell how bad they have been at the claims process, you know, to the point where it's taken weeks to get a claims processed. And then when we did get it processed, they sent us, can you get this old fashioned checks to pay for the treatments that we had? I don't mind shaming them. It's, it's, it's Vitality Health. So I don't mind shaming them. Absolutely. They, they should feel shamed for the process. But um, it's, you know, I recognize the importance of the claims moment for, for people. And most people, the reason people hate insurance is because of these moments when they fall down. So so when, when you say, though, that Sprout works, I mean, you know, let, let's be honest, a lot of people say, hear AI and they hear bullshit, right? <laughs> so, mm. um, oh, oh, totally, totally. So, so give us an example of how it works. I mean, you said you can get it from like 30 hours. And just give us an example of how it can actually transform that process. Yes, okay. But we'll get a little bit boring and technical maybe. But first of all, I want to say something. Hmm. I, I understand you've been through a really shitty experience now and um and you know you mentioned vitality and but, but what i did notice working like for example is public knowledge a domain that we work with zurich there are some brilliant people there that really really want to help but they're stopped by legacy mainly legacy it legacy processes uh, so they have to do things by the book in a certain way and that that kind of um stops them from doing the human thing so it's not necessarily the people there that, that are cold and ruthless. It, it's just um, kind of some legacy issues. And that's also part of what we help them overcome. Um, because I, I can get, almost guarantee the people on the other side of the phone in Vitality want to actually do a good job. Um, so anyway, no, I don't have shares in Vitality. I'm not, but, but it's, it's generally, it's my experience working with Zurich and, and some other customers. Mm. There's, there's some good people there that actually care. Um, I totally get but that, I yeah. am sorry that no, you've yeah. had an experience well, like that. I, and I've, I've had, so I've had one too. So, so I appreciate that. Sorry. Man. Yeah, totally. I get that. And it's, um, it's nicely to, to raise that point. And I always felt the pain of the people on the other end of the phone, you know, because, you know, yeah. I, 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 I do. Computer says no. Yeah, well, exactly. And I think I, I recognize I'm, I'm. I'm a insurance pedant, you know, so I understand the market. I know where the insure tech is at. I know what can be done. I know what should be done. And to encounter these problems 
you know, it's it's just arcane systems and, you know, any organization that sends out a check in the 21st century in 2021 um, to settle a claim feels like that it feels like they're just they're just trying to buy time really but you know maybe may maybe it is a poor process but um yeah but it's but this is at the heart of why we're doing what we're doing right and this is why insurtech is so awesome to be in because there's all of these legacy systems this slow cumbersome organizational structures which are ripe for transformation so and step forward your good self. So why AI? Mm. Yeah, exactly. AI. Um, so is it rubbish? No. Um, how can I, how can you tell? Well, I can give you the link to the, to the patents that we have pending. And, and then it's a short, short conversation. A lot of people right now are selling stuff like AI, you know, putting AI on it and expecting people to just, you know, buy it. And, and I think that's shameful, you know, shame on you. Uh, whoever's out there because you're ruining it for other people that, that are genuine and authentic and, and have really built something. So what makes what we do special and, and, you know, okay, I'm putting the bragging, the bragging hat on a little bit, but we are the first company in the world to achieve full end to end automation of a claim and in real time uh, with an accuracy higher than that of a human. Okay. Superhuman accuracy and, and, and then superhuman speed. And that's pretty fucking spectacular. Um, does and you know the next question might be, oh shit, are you gonna, are you gonna take my job? No, no, that's not what we do. If you look at uh, if you look at a hundred percent of the claims volume, um, it's not possible to automate a hundred percent of that because some of them, approximately, in the health space about twenty five percent, in the property space probably about forty percent, they are too complex to solve with current technology. Even if you're driving new proprietary technology like we do and and also you don't want that to happen like for example if you drop your phone your iphone you, you've got a cracked screen you don't want someone to phone you and ask you hey are you okay you must be having such a hard time no you want a new phone mm. but if you're in hospital or you have a head injury like your wife you do want someone to look after you you want someone to connect with you to be human those claims you want to you want to remove the chores for the claim handlers and all the, the homework and then the, 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 the irritating bits that we don't bring unique value in as humans, but you do want another person there there to connect if things get really, you know, go really south. Mm. So um, so that, anyway, sorry, I'm, I'm, I digress. So so AI, okay, what's AI? Everything about it is AI. So it's, it's, it's basically three, well, four modules. Uh, so the first one is, is proprietary um, OCR. So what we've done is we are extremely good at extracting handwritten and machine-typed unstructured data from documents. Think medical invoices, think, think doctor's handwriting, think, um, you know, uh, car body shops, uh, sending all kinds of weird invoices, think receipts. All of that stuff until now wasn't able to be extracted properly. So you, you'd be looking at 60, 70% accuracy. We, we've brought that to between 96 and 99% accuracy on words, not on characters. That means field error rate because you use words in an automation process. That's a step change. That's an innovation. That's, that's what's patent pending. And that's allowed us to unlock the entire end-to-end -end journey because for the first time ever, you're able to deal with a huge amount of variation in real time and have enough accuracy to actually unlock the next steps in the journey. Before that was so poor that you'd have to send it to a human to validate. And, and so, so it's it pretty, pretty limited capability. So that's the first step is actually extracting and, and structuring um, in, in, in a, in, uh, with near perfection on all kinds of unstructured data. Like think Japanese doctor's handwriting, 5,000 kanjis, like that kind of complexity that we've solved. Then the second step, so that's step number one, right? So this is where you unlock the journey. The second step 
not as sexy, but, but definitely as valuable is the automatic validation. We've developed an NLP algorithm or a set of algorithms that validate the content coming from those documents. It knows what a social security number is. It knows what a phone number is. It knows what a name is. It knows a, a medical code called ICD-9 or 10. It knows what a diagnosis is. It can tally up. It can detract. It can look at tables. So it's actually like a, a like an intelligent engine looking at the content mm -hmm. in, in, in what's actually being presented. Now, that's quite important because it allows you to create a triage engine that's intelligent. It can say, all of this stuff is right. Okay, like, for example, these four medications add up. Um, but there's a shampoo in there that doesn't add up. So I'll send it to a human to validate. So what you do with that automatic engine is you create a stream where you get four out of five claims that are automatically processed through the next step. One out of five goes through a, a human to validate, correct, prioritize. There's an anomaly. And that's very, very important because you've got all the information extracted. Then you go and validate automatically. And whatever is okay goes through a couple of next steps, such as some fraud checks, some po uh, the policy checking, so whether you are covered under the contract, and then a payment configuration. Mm. What's not correct goes to a human to validate before it goes back into that automatic stream. And, and so that's actually the whole workflow. And, that, and, and that's integrated in your system, and that's operating on a, on a well, near real time couple of minutes basis and and that's um that's how it achieves end to end so and it you know it uses the most advanced kind of deep learning uh, convolutional uh, regional convolutional neural networks um it's 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 pretty cool it's it's pretty um it's pretty impressive that is, it sounds really cool we had kettle on the show previously who were doing really interesting stuff with wildfire prediction they were using a, a um a neural net ai i believe as well and it was a very interesting way they had been able to bring in predictability because they were dealing with a, with a price dislocation. But where you're dealing with is within big mainstream markets, right? Where there are, this could be motor health property. So it could be anything, right? Can you tell me where, where you focused the solution on so far? Has it been a specific subset area? Yes. Um, good question. So we're very active in, in, in health insurance at the moment. And then, well, actually we've, we've come up with a new kind of um, way of looking at it. Because new technology, you sometimes need new ways to look at it. Mm. And so that's the way we look at it is simple claims and complex claims. We have a solution, a product in market, cookie cutter style, scalable for simple claims. Simple claims mean anything below five touch points, often starting with a very high degree of computer vision needed. So um, a lot of documents, right? And then a medium degree of natural language processing or, or um, contextualization and filling in the gaps. And th those are simple claims. You find them in health insurance, which, which we're quite um, popular in. Uh, you find them in pet insurance, travel, and there's a life insurance. And then the second category is complex claims. This is where you go into um, complex property, complex motor. You go into commercial insurance, marine, um, liability. So casualty. So, so you go into really, really, really tricky cases where you sometimes have 20, 30, 40, 50 trans uh, transactions. With transaction, I mean touch points at, at like different points. Mm. And that is really tricky. So in that sense, you're likely, we're working on that right now with a, with a design partner. It's a big project. And that product's likely going to come out in 23, completely cookie cutter style. And if you would say like what we've done now, no one has that. No one has what we've done. Otherwise, you know, we're a company about 35 people working with three of the global top 10 insurance companies for a reason. Um, and But that, if you say this product is what we have now, it's transformational, that other one that we're going to hopefully bring out in 23 is going to 
change the paradigm. It's going to be like the so it's going to be imagine lower level of computer vision, very high level of NLP and NLU being able to deal with a huge amount of ambiguity. Imagine you your whole village floods and you phone up your insurance company and say, "Hey man, my village is flooded. What do I do?" <laughs> no AI would be able to work with that stuff, mm. that complexity right now, and that's what we are working on. Is that complex claims um, in the market? What I what I hear in that is you know a number of like quite complex layers that have to come together, and you know what I understand as a relatively um, uneducated AI person is that any model to work needs to have a set of data from which to analyze and then to predict the and then it has to work through that data, come up with a set of solutions which you then either penalize or you reward the model based on. But of course, all of this like training of an AI, training of a, an, a, an intelligence requires data, requires like an input of information. So is that ever, you know, with the partners you work with, is that ever been the issue with like these that providing the data or where do you find this data from in a way that allows you to do all these wonderful things? I mean, very, very, very good question. Um, it's a bit of a nuanced answer. So, so one thing, one innovation we've we've been able to achieve <clears throat> is, and our CTO has been brilliant there. Um, he's the inventor of this. Is for the computer vision part, so the document processing, we don't need any training data at all. Normally, you need hundreds of thousands of documents to annotate and to be able to just create one format. He's come up with a way that everything is trained on synthetic data, so we get one or two or three example documents, and it gets translated into ten thousand variations of that document through synthetic data and the algorithms get imagine a an, an alternate reality where you know you've got a baby algorithm and you put that baby algorithm in the alternate reality and it gets milk it gets breastfed every day and it gets to be a big big boy very good at what it does and then it comes back into this reality pre-trained Mm. And and like like a champion, like a Hercules, and that's what that's that's what we are able to do. Um, my metaphors are awful. I apologize, but that's what we're able to do based on computer vision and document processing, and that's a step change as well because it allows you to deal with hundreds of different variations in real time. We actually built our own kind of super server. Uh, it, because it took so much computing capacity to train on that synthetic data that we built our own here and and um, you know just to to crunch the bill a little bit, but um, that's, so that's that's pretty cool. Mm. When on, on the other side is we do use data, historical data. So if you want to be able to predict good decisions, you need to learn from something. So we take our customers' historical claims data and we train the system on the historical train, uh, claims data. And with the combination of the computer vision and the NLP then is, is the, the validation, the next step recommendation is based on the, the past year or the past two years of you, you, you triangulate what the best decision was. Like, for example, your iPhone 8 claim, right? It, you probably have had about 5,000 of those. So if you run those through your system, it can actually triangulate which one had the best outcome, which one was the most effective. And then when you learn from that, it's going to recommend to do the same thing again and again. So you create this kind of the highest possible benchmark based on, on, on historical performance. And that will be your, your go-to from, from, mm. from, from that point onwards. So, so we do train on, on the historical data. That's such a cool way to approach the problem by creating effectively like a digital twin of an environment in which to like like nurture the 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 metaphorical baby ai through to the herculean herculean outcome that you need to be able to go through this sort of and create a meaningful outcome for the claims handlers and the organizations because you know i know being in this market like it's easy to sell products in um like a b2c product setup you know white label in insurance product 
Um, you could go B to B to C. You can you know do a whole range of things. But the crunch thing that always stops InsureTech scaling is claims. Um, that's why there's so much excitement around parametric products because it kind of does away mm-hmm. with that need for a claims process. But what you're talking mm-hmm. about here is there is always going to be a subset of insurance where it just has to have some type of intervention or some like kind of high quality claims analysis. We're talking about um, not parametric insurance. We're going to be, we need someone who can get in there and actually measure the risk, right? So um, I think that's really fascinating to see the way that you guys are approaching that. But um, so I want to take this a couple of two ways really with you. And, you know, I'm, I'm hearing like a highly complex, technically driven solution working with the old, the grandmother of um, industries of insurance. You're giving a grandma, grandmother some new trainers, as I said last time, um, so on. But um, what to, to do this, to build all this amazing technology, you've got to have a great team, right? You've got to have a great team of tech yeah. people. Um, I know when we've spoken before, you said something to me, and I, I want to know, when you're building a great tech team, why is technology impact and problem important to you when it comes for, for building a great tech team? We have genuinely, dude, I'm, I'm fucking humbled, man. Like our, our team, our people are insane. I'm probably the dumbest person in the organization, which is a good thing. Um, like I'll give you an example. We have eight of the top 250 data scientists globally in computer vision and NLP, natural language processing on our team. We recently have a, a, a Kaggle um, grandmaster, Eduardo. And just these 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 people they just live for this shit you know like they are insane um so h- how did we attract those people it's definitely a team sport um w- w- let me tell you where i contribute um and that's mission mission and 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 people people for me people connect to a mission people want to have in my experience want to have an impact um, you know, we, I told you, we set out to, to improve people's lives and, and we want to have, we, we want to do so many improvements that it has a macro impact on society, right? Um, we want to improve 100 million people's lives by processing 100 million claims in the next few years. And that's basically making it, I know it's not curing cancer. I know that, but it is making a tangible impact. And people in my experience love that, you know, we have people saying no to Facebook and, and two X salaries to join that mission. And I find that an honor to have these very smart people join you. Um, so that's one thing is the mission. The second thing is having a really, really challenging problem. I mean, the reason that what we're doing now has never been challenged before is because it's a challenging problem and you need really state-of-the-art insight and technology to solve it. So these brilliant people, minds from all over the world, are like, oh, that's a really interesting problem. You know, they live for that stuff. I want to help solve the problem. Mm. That's the second issue, having a really challenging problem and a and really novel way of using technology to solve the issue. Um, the third thing is I think it's, it's, it's team, is achieving a sort of critical mass. So, so our CTO is, used to be one of the top 26 data scientists in computer vision globally on Kaggle. The guy's brilliant. And he's, he was able then to attract our second person that was, was like literally a, a, an often quoted data scientist in the literature, Ivan. And Ivan then attracted other people. I literally said, oh, I want to work with Ivan because Ivan's published here and there and like the guy's an inspiration to me. You get to a certain point that, that people are like, you know, wow, look at the problem is there. I can have an impact. I can have a purpose in life. And look at this team. I just want to learn. I just kind of want to learn. And everyone here wants to learn, is obsessed with learning from other people. And those for us have been kind of the, I think, um, is the, the, the three main things that have, 
enabled us to to hire such a stellar team basically mm. um because i think above and beyond patterns and technological mode la 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 it's your team because they can build new stuff like there's always a sense of innovation you know remember we used to have these big boxy tvs that i can guarantee you there are a couple of companies that had patents there and then then suddenly you've got you get these led tvs what are your patents worth now mm. fuck all mm. So, so nourish your team because they're going to build new and new and new and new stuff constantly, you know, and, and that's really the value. And it was a little bit, um, maybe it's not PC what I'm saying, but, but that's really what I believe. Like mm. your team is more valuable than your technological moat. Yeah. So, so everyone stay the fuck away from it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Neil's keeping them interested. Bugger yeah, off. Yeah, yeah. Bugger <laughs> off. Wait, do you know what though? This is, this, I've, I've talked about this so many times that, you know, the, the only true asset that people have. And only true asset a business has is its people. The only true asset a business has is people. And when people hear me, they say that sometimes, well, what about the technology? What about like, you know, the, the product? And, the, and I'm like, well, you know, honestly, you take all the good people away, you put toxic people in there, like underperformance, and that stuff will crumble. Somebody will reinvent that product. Someone will, will, will bring something better, faster. And it, and it just depends upon the people executing that. So I'm, I'm really glad to hear that you say that that way that you've approached hiring the best people, these really, really intelligent technical people, because, you know, people looking at profile, you're, you're a non-technical founder, aren't you? You're not like a, you're not a computer engineer. You're not um, a data scientist. So like, tell me about that. What is it like being a non-technical founder, the CEO, and how have you been like the dumbest guy in the room and how do you come and like support it all? Yes. Very, very good question. Um, Look, I don't know what's what's what right. I don't know what's wrong. You know, mm. um, I might be making mistakes now that are going to cost me in twelve months. I don't know. Um, it's my job to try to figure that out and see what's around the corner, and that's what I'm constantly at an obsessive level doing. Um, but I think as a CEO, it's really about setting the mission, the vision, and the purpose. Uh, it's setting out the problem that we're solving on a global scale. And then literally hiring amazing people that are way smarter than me and helping me figure out the path to that mission. And and literally be honest and humble and say, hey, man, if I knew how to do this job, I wouldn't be hiring you. I would be doing it myself. But here's my dream. Here's what I want to achieve. Here's why that's good for everyone involved. Do you want to join me on this journey? I, I promise you it's going to be really hard and really tricky and you're going to have a lot of fun. Mm. And, um, and, and just my job is basically to attract talent, really. It's attract customers, talent, and funding. If I do that, I'm doing an okay job and set down the mission and vision. And there's people way smarter and tactically more gifted to figure out how to do that. Mm. Um, so, so that's how I try to, that's how I try to do this. That it, it has worked un until now. And then, um, regular alignment, I think is also very, very important. And a partnership at sea level. My CTO is very important and regular alignment on a weekly basis and then on a bi-weekly basis whole company alignment and be transparent this is happening here this is happening there this is why that's good this is why that's bad this is why we need to do better here uh, this is why we fucked up here and and we, we can't do that again um and then one more thing is i think where where technical meets non-technical or should meet non-technical is the product in the end, it boils down to the product. You want to have a scalable organization, you need to have a scalable product. And that's where engineering meets meets business, meets commercial, meets everything else. Um, you need to look at, you know, if you're like a spear tip, that, that the, the tip of the spear is really your product. 
And on the left side, you have your engineering. The right side, you have anything that's operational business, um, sales, marketing. And once you've got that product in place, then scaling that becomes more of a business and distribution challenge than anything else. Um, and, and obviously, I mean, every step in the company development is different, right? So I think it's good to evaluate regularly. What does the company need as an organism? Because I literally see the company as an organism at every stage in its growth, you know, predictively as well for the next stage. Mm. Um, for me, I think last thing I'll say about this is I, for me, the way I see myself is like the guardian of the organization, the ward, and I need to guard the culture, the vision, the mission, the values and the growth. And that's what matters to me the most, whatever that looks like. I, I don't, I don't care. I just need to make sure that that's what we're doing well. Mm. I, you can call me chief ambition officer. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I hear in that like a, a healthy dose of um, humility and um, vulnerability as well, because I can imagine where you are sitting with computer scientists, you know, PhDs or like, you know, highly technical experts, you know, you've got to say, I don't get it, right? I don't understand what you're producing here. We have a CTO who deals with that, but also I'm here to empower you. So vulnerability, like what does that, does that resonate with you? And like, how do you deal with being like saying, I don't get it. I don't know the answer to this. I don't have all of the answers. What's, what's your view on that? Yeah, I guess it does. I mean, I'd never thought about it. I, I guess it does come with some vulnerability and, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that, man. Like, you know, <laughs> I, um, I don't know. It's a good question. I, I like learning. I've always loved learning. I'm pretty obsessed about learning. So if everything is learning opportunity, so then you never feel inadequate because mm -hmm. you're just always learning. And so, and I like partnering with people. I, like, I've always been, a, I used to um, play academy football until I was about 16. I got, I got kicked out because of, I had a lack of talent. Um, <laughs> I did have the drive, but I was just, I had two left feet. And um, so, but I love, I used to be in a band as well, and I and I was a guitarist, and there was two of us, and I I didn't need to play the solos. I was happy to be kind of you know um, the guiding guitar as well. Someone else like put the the guitar behind their back and started like ramming that thing. So, um, I just want this organism to work, man. If I'm hiring people that are smarter than me, then I'm doing a good job. And in the end, hey, let's not forget, you know, let's not get all fluffy. Like I am a major shareholder of this organization. I will benefit from hiring. You know, I am more aligned with company success than just with 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 uh, positioning myself in the best possible way. That would be very micro thinking versus you know macro thinking. My my job, my job. My end job is to make myself obsolete. Mm. I know how that sounds really odd. And very few people in the world have that kind of mission in their, in their own position. My job is literally make the company outgrow me. Mm. And then we're doing really well. Yeah, absolutely. I love to hear that. You know, I think this, I asked the question about vulnerability for a very key reason. I think that um, the best leaders that I see in time and time again, have a clear recognition of where their expertise starts and where it finishes. And anything outside of that, they have to say, I don't know and have to recognize that as the organization goes from zero to 10, 10 to 20, 30, 40, 100 thousands, that it gets to a point where they no longer have the ability to do everything. Um, and, you're, and to your point, you know, recognizing when you have to hand it over to someone else, either as a CEO or, or a separate function, a subset of what you do. And all of that for me requires someone to say, like, I don't know, I, I can't do this anymore myself. I need excellent people around me to support me. And that's vulnerability, that's humility, led by, you know, having some very clear methodologies, alignment, transparency that you've talked about, 
you know, being very clear on what you want and being prepared to be assertive enough to stand up for that and, and be clear on what you're supposed to be doing. So it's, you know, I, I hear this being replicated a number of different times by people. And I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're finding that at such a young age as a founder. Um, and I suppose that just makes me curious, like where it came from you, like where this approach to what you're doing. Do you have anybody that's that you've looked up to as a leader or... Um, oh yeah, you know, I, I like I like learning, so I like learning from mentors. Sorry, I yeah, yeah, no, go ahead, absolutely, go there. for it. Um, I've got a couple of mentors. Like, let some honourable mention. So, so one of them is Todd uh, Todd Olson from Pendo. He's the CEO. Uh, they're currently a three billion dollar business. Um, Which business he, were they called? I met him through text. Pendo, Pendo.io. Okay. Um, they're an American uh, product. Uh, they do they do they sell a product suite. Um, so yeah, so so Todd's brilliant. Um, Todd's really good. He's been a mentor of mine um, for a couple of years now. Um, the the founder the, the founder and ex CEO of Blue Prism, Alistair Bathgate, um, brilliant guy, super smart. So I've always looked for and and you know these people they they connect with me once in a while. Um, Eric Latilati, CTO of MetLife. You know these guys like. I don't know. People always think like super, super successful people have to be ruthless and selfish. And I, these guys are brilliant human beings. They make time for me since, since we were a company of three people. They haven't gotten anything in return except for the joy of giving back mm. and paying it forward. And so, so having like a, an hour with them is like a year at uni, you know, it's so, so I always look to, to talk to people that have been there and done that and that have made the mistakes, know what's around the corner. And, um, I'm, yeah, so, so that's how I try to learn. Mm-hmm. I learn from, from mentors and um, from, from, from successful people. The CEO of Bought by Many, um, Mike Mendel, he said the same thing to me. Um, I know he came from a strategy consulting background, but I asked him and he said, I just ask people and then I've always paid it forward. Like I've asked people for help and they've given me help. And then when other people have asked me for help, I've always given it to them. It's just this simple process of reciprocity, this type of kindness. Um, and I agree with you. You don't have to be an asshole to be successful in business. I mean, you have to make some tough decisions sometimes, which I'm sure you have done. And, you know, to a person, all of the leaders I've ever met have had to make some pretty difficult decisions, um, letting people go, you know, pivoting, you know, having that hard conversation. But, you know, but you can still be kind with that. So um, I'm, I'm also loving to hear that. And I think this is a nice point because... You know, I don't just want to have a bit of a love in on, on purpose and values and everything else, because I know sometimes people roll their eyes with this with me a bit, but I want to know like you, because you've talked very articulately about setting a mission, a vision and having a purpose. Um, but I want to get into like building the business and how like you've got it used, used this mission and value and everything to build your team. So how important is it for you though, when you're hiring and you've got that wonderful engineer in front of you that you match values and culture? How do you do that? I think it's very, very important. So, so a cu- couple of things, um, like hiring for for kind of culture fit is something I I I look at that, I look at that a little bit different differently. So, um, I look at how how can they? We're still you know we're we're growing we're we're growing really fast. And let's say we're about thirty five people today. I I we're still small enough that kind of one person can turn everything around in terms of behavior. So, for me. How can they add to this culture? That that's very important. That's what I'm always thinking. How can they bring something new, something fresh? Like you, um, you don't want to be building a homo- homogenous culture, you know, where everyone looks like a, you know, like a you've 
you've got you know all, all Karens in the business or something like that like someone someone needs to bring something different and and so you're building an organism so I think that's um you know that that's important um to start with and then you know obviously proper proper process oriented talent attraction and recruitment you know the, the way I the way I see it, the theory is that you know 50% is performance based and 50% is is values key values based and those values are you know let's say you've got five value values they're then broken into each um, in, in a key behavior that can actually be measured everything needs to be you know make it measurable then you're pre- literally measuring performance output and behavioral output based so so that's the theory um I'm, you know, um, full disclosure, we haven't got that implemented yet, um, but that is that is something that I'm aiming to do. Um, for now, it's a bit more still intuitive, um, but um, but yeah, so not not there yet, but it is a, an aspiration. So you've done, you know, you've done well to get to 35 people. That must have been tough, right? It was just, and this is the first time you build a business up to that big that that amount, right? So you know, you're is, talking about, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you're talking about intuitive processes. You got these people in front of you. Give us an example, like what what are you? How are you doing your interviews? How are you assessing people? Are you sort of saying, you know, look, give us an example of when you failed. Like, when did you last do something you learned about? Um, what What do you like to ask to get there? I mean, there is a scorecard that gets informed, right? So the, there's a scorecard and there's a set of questions that are get. You know, we're pretty process oriented kind of people. Um, I like to do things properly, so as as properly as you can, you know, at, at that stage, um, minimum viable, proper properly mvp um so 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 there's a scorecard which questions uh, tom or our, um our, our talent manager he's brilliant um he helps you inform all of that you go to the market and then you go through a predefined process of hiring so it's pretty it's pretty rigorous stuff sometimes there's a, a sort of test or for more business oriented roles there's a presentation um in front of a couple of stakeholders um i I, I don't meet everyone anymore coming through because for a while I was involved in every hire and then I started becoming a bottleneck and people had to wait two weeks to meet me and then suddenly they got snapped up. So my team was like, Niels, g- g- you know, get off, you know, get off the pot basically. <laughs> so we just need to move. So I was like, fair enough. So so I'm involved in like head of roles and, and above um, and they just, you know, empower them to do, to do, to do their own thing unless... They leverage me as a weapon sometimes, and they're like, "Niels, can you come in? We need we need that final push to get someone on board." Then I'm happy to get in. But uh, we we um we've got some pretty uh, for this stage of company like we've got some pretty rigid kind of a, not rigid rigorous um process um which is repeatable, which allows you to compare apples and apples basically. Mm. And and is this because you're predominantly hiring technical people um, when you talk about rigorous. And because I think often I hear this problem, I've, I've heard it had, I've had it said to me once by a CTO, we don't care about their personality, Will. We just need to know if they can do the coding, they can do the technical development. I almost spat out my water when I, I heard that. I would push back on that. Yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't get that account. Can yeah. you believe it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Fair. Uh, yeah. Good. Um, yeah. And I, but I have a big problem with that because I feel like I don't care if you're a, you know, a software engineer, data scientist, or if you're a product marketer, you know, if you're an asshole, you're an asshole. And if you've got a toxic personality, then you're going to start creating problems for the existing organization, because ultimately you're saying to people, we don't care about the values and culture that we establish, we just care about your output. And then that's a race to the bottom. You know, it's a really, you know, dangerous place to be at. So, well, that's my opinion, you know, and, and I wonder for you, if that's what you share, like, have you seen it? Have you seen it go wrong? You seen it go right? Yeah, everyone, everyone makes mistakes, right? It's uh, 
what's the kind of rule of thumb you know like 50 percent of people you hire are not going to work out within within two years and and you have to just be ready for that as well like you have to be okay when when i when i speak to other people in the business and they're hiring their own teams and i it's just all about empowering like hey man it's okay to make mistakes it really really is mm. we'll solve it together you know we, we commit together as a team it's okay you've got buy-in let's just you know jfdi you know just fucking do it and you do it properly and then you learn from it every time and you iterate and 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 it's fine you're never going to get it 100 percent right mm, mm. and then yeah. once you once you figure that out then it's about taking action in a constructive empathetic but also swift way like we're we're managing an organism here and so it's, it's very important that you know legs and arms and a liver and a kidney and lungs and everything has to be in balance at all times it's a complex complex uh, organism mm. yeah i find that i find that interesting we have got to take action and it will go wrong with people um you're absolutely right and i i have counseled that um certainly to clients as much as we try the problem with with what we're doing here and building people focused organizations is that it's the people thing people are highly unpredictable their life changes, situations change, and it can be very, very difficult. Yeah, but it's, I mean, I, I think about this sometimes, right? When you're hiring a lot of people, I, I, I know our organization doesn't seem super big, but we did grow from eight to, you know, 35 and, and, and probably 60 in the next four months. And, and that's like an absolute numbers doesn't seem like much, but percentually it's, it's, it's huge. You know, imagine that you would grow like what you're like, let's say you're six foot. And suddenly you grow to be like 20, 20 or 30 feet, you know, that's literally the change you're going through. Can you imagine? I have to support yourself it's as tall as a tree. So, so, so that's, oh, sorry, man, I completely lost what I was talking about. <laughs> I, I completely lost it. But, so, um, um, so I understand shit. the proportional representation of growth, me going from six foot yes. to 20 foot or going from eight to 35 yeah. people. <laughs> I and like then that. I, 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 I was making a point, but I, I forgot. Um, yeah, can you imagine the growth pains you'd have to go through? It's the same thing, yeah. but um, I was I was making a point to um, I forgot it. Sorry. So Never so mind. it's like so what I hear in that is the organisation has to keep growing, buying new pair of trousers, a new pair of shoes, constantly trying to maybe improving that pair of shoes and pair of trousers as it grows, like really just having to facilitate a, a changing organisation, a changing structure, but just keep going. And uh, sometimes you're going to get a dud pair of trousers. I don't know if we're killing this metaphor here, but um, <laughs> it's probably about the best I can do with that one yeah. uh, on such Fair. short notice. Well, I, I'm just fascinated because I think the reason, I, one of the reasons I want you on the show is, you know, I'm, I'm, I love the way that you talk about you're building your business. And I think a lot of people look at the, the, the idea of building a business as a founder and it's like, you know, that's, that's the cool thing. They want to be the new Elon Musk. They want to be the next Jeff Bezos. And there's a lot yeah. of truth. It's very difficult doing what you're doing and getting to where you're getting to. So just hearing the fact that, you know, it, you have to make it up. Sometimes you have to trust in your instincts and know that you haven't quite got your structure, right, but you do the best that you can at that moment. And then you do something about it, you improve it next time and you keep improving it next time. You know, I, I think that's a really truthful way to approach it. Um, that we are leveraging on the external relationships that we have with great people to try and shortcut to the best solutions that we can in the moment and then keep iterating and 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 changing right um and just improving constantly um i i just would love anybody listening to this who's trying to build a business um who's trying to be a founder in an in organization just to remember at the heart of this these are people-centric organizations you've got to be a people-centric organization you've got to and even if you don't have your values defined um that in, instead that you at least 
have a focus on them that you care about like creating a culture and values and thinking about, do I want someone who's going to be well assertive? Do I think they add to the business? Are they going to be a good person to work with? Can we create the environment around them that's going to be good? Mm -hmm. And then as you grow, you can start to define what it means to you, um, what values mean to you. Because that's where I've come in my journey. You know, I know how important now when I search for teams, leaders and people in, in key individuals, you know, humility, integrity, assertiveness, resilience, those are the values that I've boiled it down to. We could put in curiosity. You know, we could put courage in there. Yeah. Um, we could uh, umbrella all of that with kindness. If I'm just looking for something, do I find this person is going to be kind? You know, and that's very, can be really difficult to measure. But um, so, so I, I'm, and I know a lot of organizations fall back on just measuring competencies because that's the easiest thing to measure. Values are devilishly difficult, right? really, really difficult to get to, but it's an evolution. So there is no question in all of that. If you have any response to that monologue of mine, um, feel free. I, I actually remember, remember my point of earlier. So values lead into key behaviors that is then observable and measurable. But you know, when you're hiring a lot of people, um, like we've done and like we keep on doing, I always wonder like this process of hiring people, I'm going off on a complete tangent here, but that's what you get when you get, get entrepreneurs on the, on a, on a, on a podcast. It's, 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 it's very ineffective, man. It's very ineffective. Like, we'll have a couple of conversations. You might do a certain kind of test. You know, you, you, you put your best foot forward. So do I. Actually, I don't do that on purpose anymore. So I talk to people about all the shit that goes on here. I say, do you still want to join? It's brilliant. <laughs> but, you know, but like, we, we all like, you know, put our best foot forward. We comb our hair, put on a shirt. And on the back of that, you make a pretty big commitment as, as an employee and as an employer to kind of get into things, you know? Um, you check some references. You may, might do some soft referencing. It feels pretty ineffective. Like, I was thinking, is there not a predictive tool that can tell you, like, this is how much that person will fit based on X, Y, Z? I know it, it sounds almost fascist, right? That's what you don't want. But, like, th- there must be a better way to like i know you can have one day assessments maybe that's better like I, you know but like i don't know i haven't solved it it's devilishly difficult yeah I, I i look i mean i've been doing my job for 23 years as a headhunter um and i've been taking a greater interest in in interviewing assessment people than i would say most people in my industry do um and i've very much come to the conclusion that it's very very difficult in two hours to really get to know someone What's a predictive measure, you think? What's a, the best predictive measure to see if someone's going to thrive where they are? Because you don't want them to just give an output like a robot. You want them to thrive, become better, become more at, for the organization and themselves. Like, mm. is it psychometrics? Is it what? what, what you do, know? You to, do you want me to tell you the secret? There is no one thing. You know, it's like, you know, I, I use an answer like you go to a gardener, you know, a gardener of a beautiful garden. And if you walked out and said to him, what makes your, what's the thing that makes your garden so beautiful? He'd look at you, he or she would look at you and say, you're an idiot. There's not just one thing. There's the sunshine, there's the water, there's the food, there's the conditions, there's the animals. There's so many things that go into creating a beautiful garden. And it's exactly the same thing with people and a team. You know, the thing is one wonderful person. And I think the thing is, I've often said this, I don't think there's bad people. I mean, there's very few real sociopathic evil people out there. There are, of course. But when we say we've got a bad person for the organization, generally what we mean is they're not fit for the mission anymore, or they're in a place in their life where they're no longer able to give what they need to give to get the business where it needs to go or to fill the role. And so when you start to appreciate that there's nuances, but then, then there's another layer on top of that, which is really difficult because 
I think if you were to look back on yourself, Nils, and, and I was to say to say, look, look back on Will 10 years ago, I'm a completely different person. And humans and adults, as we develop, we go through levels of complexity. And, and so what that means is when we're assessing that person in the moment, we've just got one, one waypoint and it's not the full picture. All we can do is do the best we can in matching them with what we currently have. And that's where, when I hear in what you're telling me, that at least you're taking interest in saying, this is the mission, this is the vision, and this is the purpose of what we're trying to achieve right now. I think you could fit for these reasons. Do you think you could fit as well? Um, and maybe in 12 months' time, in two years' time, you're not the fit for the mission anymore. And that's okay too, right? So that's my best answer to that. And I think um, the more people the more people get interested in this and also get in in terms of defining their mission, the better for your organization. So there you go. And I'll put my soapbox to the side now. Um, but yes, absolutely. That's why um, it's so bloody difficult um, to do what we do. And if you can find somebody who can focus on this relentlessly, then it's always good for an organization, in my opinion. Um, I feel like this is maybe a, a cool place to sort of segue a little bit. And I, I want to spend a little bit of time with you before we run out of time today, just about funding the fun, <laughs> as I'm calling it. Because, you know, to do everything that we're talking about, this awesome stuff that you're doing with AI, building a claims process that matters and changes people's lives, hire really great people, give an environment for those great people. You need money, right? It's, it's the oxygen of creativity. So I sort of would like maybe just to tell me a bit about that, like, how you came about like finding your your backers, your VCs, your funders, and how you got about deciding on who it was and that journey. Um, look, man, full disclosure, like cards on the table. We got pretty lucky um, the last two rounds. So we our previous two rounds, so our seed and our Series A, were both preempted based on our commercial traction. Uh, preempting means that someone comes to you and says, hey, I want to take this round. So we didn't have to go and shop around. And um, so so we're, you know, very fortunate there. Um, so in the last round was led by Octopus, um, Octopus Ventures, uh, Nick, Nick at Octopus, <laughs> this guy, man. He literally genuinely phoned me for about two weeks, almost every day. And then he put a big check on the table. Like I, and I, you know, I, I wasn't, we weren't, in a, we weren't actually raising even. So the guy, he had gumption and, and he had what, what, what I call kind of the courage of his conviction. And he just said, look, mate, you, you're going to take my money. It's going to be a low friction. Um, it's going to be kind of a low friction DD process. I was like, yeah, yeah, everyone always says that. No. And they kept to their word. And it was great. It was like, fuck, like that was good. Uh, before with the seed round, you know, Amadeus um, let, let the seed round. So um, we've, been very, we've been quite fortunate in, in, in that sense. How much have you raised so far? Can you share that with us? Yeah, we've raised... Um, bit over 10 million sterling. So was that like, you know, this, in terms of that process, getting the seed round, you, you took your concept, you had your idea, you had your CTO co-founder, right? No. So that's the, that, that here's the tricky bit though. Mm. So um, we did a pre-seed round and um, pre-seed round was about half a million in, in, uh, in 2018, just, you know, to hit, you know, to get started. That one was tricky because you have to shop around. So it was a mix of angels and VC. Um, you have to shop around like the UK is, is pretty good in that because you've got the EIS scheme and stuff. Mm. So there's, there's quite a few angels around, which is great. Um, we were, we hand, we cherry picked angels, mainly from the insurance background, the former chief of claims of Zurich. We've got some brilliant, brilliant angels, the former CIO of Admiral, but also it's tricky because everyone that's got like 25 K 
burning in their pocket get get to go get to have a stab at you you know and like sometimes those are not nice conversations because at that point it's still a concept so anyone can say anything even if they don't know anything about it so sometimes you have to really really look bite your tongue and just like okay so so that that can be a little bit tricky almost humiliating sometimes but then you meet great people that that believe in you and the people that invested in this company at the start when there was nothing else no one else just an idea basically and a bunch of people i have nothing but the the utmost respect for them like these are for me i love them you know (laughs) they believed in us they took a punt and they will definitely benefit from that financially but also like that's great they made this happen so i'm I'm forever grateful to them so let's get specific because i mean there'll be plucky entrepreneurs sitting here listening to this going where the hell do i find half a million pounds and so you've got these these great people, you've got these not so great people. <laughs> Where did you find them? Do you just hanging around in a cafe shop or like? No, man, angel <laughs> groups. So you've got a couple of angel groups that are that are um, angels. Den, for example, uh, pretty good. Um, you you go on a stage. It's like an open mic night. You know, you pitch your business. There's about fifty or whatever hundred angels there. Um, you, you go and talk for five minutes, and after they come and chat to you, and they they buy in, and then you you know you um you take you take them on a coffee date, and you get them to commit um ten k, fifteen, twenty, hundred k, um you know, and uh, and that's how it goes. Uh, we did that too or three times and we're able to um to to capture what we needed so so that that was good and then the most important thing is getting someone to lead we 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 had our we had our pre-seed lead they put in 150k and then you're off to the races um you get that lead committed then then you fill out the rest of the round we 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 over raced um at that point and um and then you're off yeah you're off so where did you learn this process because you know my mind goes to like you know where the hell did you figure out to do all of that because again you know you you don't come doing it just by doing it so yeah there's no you're right there's no um maybe we should make something like this man help a lot of people out there's no um there's no recipes for this stuff so it's just figuring that stuff out as you as you go along so did you go with like safe documents i mean like a, a safe stands for a simple and fair equity agreement for those out there listening to it sort of how mm. you create like your templates of like how people invest with you was that sort of something you just again just figured out? Yeah, figured out on on the fly. Got a lawyer that was um, that didn't charge up front. You know, paid a couple of grand out of your pockets and and um, and just like scrap it together. Really, uh, mm. really we were ah we were at the Imperial College Incubator in the Enterprise Lab, and they were quite helpful with with some of that stuff as well, asking questions. I mean, this is what entrepreneurship is, right? You like you're building a plane as you're flying it, and and even though you raise 10, 10 million pounds or or fifty, like that's not going to stop. You're doing something new that no one else, no one has probably ever done before, at least not in that format. So no one's got all the answers. It's it's like part of part of the journey. If you can't deal with that, like literally go do something else. And that's okay because this is a tough journey. This is like everyday micro unhappiness, but you do have purpose and macro happiness. <laughs> so tell me a bit about that. Is it like the difficulty in getting shit done, problems happening all the time? Is that the micro unhappiness? Ah, you've got about 10 problems and then one one nice thing that <laughs> happens, you know? And that's kind of the average. And th- there's a... Um, I spoke with someone recently. He's the CEO of a business. He's like, in America, he's like, every day is like party hats and razor blades. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's that's true. There's like, because you know, there's always problems hitting your table, and then there's some big wins, and 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 that you know, you just have to be okay with that kind of balance. Yeah, it's a roller coaster, absolutely. But literally, what I tell my friends when they're like, Neil, should I start a business? I say, if there's anything else you can do <laughs> and think in the world and and be happy, go and do that instead. And you'll probably end up wealthier as well if that's what you're after. Statistically, it's actually been proven. So, so 
if you cannot think of anything else in the world that will make you happy, then 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 go on this mm. journey. It's tough, isn't it? It's I, I speak to so many founders who give me that look. They got that look in their it's eye, tough. like, oh my god, what have I done? Um, you know, I know this looks fantastic, but it's bloody hard. I know it's weird, man. You're living in two worlds. Like I love it. I I love building stuff. I wouldn't want to be doing anything else in in the world. Mm. But, you know, it takes a toll. Like, a lot of people don't talk about the sacrifice. Like, you know, my wife, I've got, like, literally she's an angel. Um, I've got a little one on the way, oh, you know, let's see, how I, let's see how I cope with that. And, yeah, thank you, <laughs> the first one. And and But my, my wife, my friends, my family, you know, like, my friends still want to be my friends, even though they don't see me sometimes for six months. Like, you have to have some good friends. You make a lot of sacrifice. The mental part, very few people speak about the mm. mental aspects. This shit is hard, mm. Okay. This this is really, really tricky. Uh, you have to be careful. You have to look after yourself. You cannot keep working 14-hour days for four years in a row. Or, all, you know, you have to look after yourself. Take a break once in a while. Reset. I I, I don't always do that, right? Like, I, I meditate and stuff because that, that's important to me. Because, you know, so 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 look after yourself, you know? Um, it's extremely important. Yeah, I think you're right. The sacrifice doesn't get spoken about and the mental health challenges that come along with trying to do something which is highly um, unstructured at times and has lots of pressure from lots of different people and staff and all of the mm. things we're talking about. And that was actually a great segue for me because I mean, that's where I wanted to sort of talk towards the end of the show with you is about like how you stay healthy. So um, for me, mm. always talking about mind, body, spirit, like those are my three pillars, like how I'm nurturing each of those. Sometimes I'm doing a crap job on one of those or two of those, trying not to do a crap job yeah. on all three of them. But um, so for you... Um, <laughs> like you talked about meditation is that something that you found recently or is that something you've been like where did that come from for you yeah on and off for years really i mean i've got um yeah i'm a pretty active kind of guy you know so i have a lot of energy so so that sometimes you just have to ground that so so meditation is something i do um but i'm, I'm not doing enough at the moment that's for sure so i usually play football but through an injury not recently and then the spirit definitely need to work on that piece mm. um but um, same as my physique, I think the lockdown kilos have come to me. So, uh, or you'd say pounds in the UK. But no, to be honest, I, I need to do I need to do better. Mm. I need to do better, and I know that. Do you, where do you um? How do you meditate? Do you use an app when you have been meditating? Is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I've calm, calm. and and headspace both actually. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, they're, they're good. it's good stuff. Like Ten minutes a day. Keeps the keeps the doctor away. Yeah, I I am a big advocate of those. I mean, people listening probably heard me on many a show talk about um, waking up app or. Um, ten percent happier, calm is one of course as well. Um, headspace, there's there's a number of different ones. I think, I think the key thing is to start. Ten minutes is a great place to be, and um, not mm. to beat yourself up when you fall off the wagon, you know. And um, know that the most mm. important meditation is the one is the first one that you do after having not done it for a couple of weeks. And once you look at it like that and recognize it's just the first one is so so important, it can help. But um, I'm great. I'm really glad to hear you're doing that because I think the more Young CEOs talk about it, more old CEOs talk about it, um, the more um, ubiquitous it should become as a practice and organizations support yeah. it. So big, big fan of that one. And we talked about mind and body and spirit. I mean, for me, it's philosophy and, you know, trying to look after ourselves as spirit mm. and through philosophy and Buddhism and stoicism for me. Um, mm. And then you're right, I, I don't play enough football either or enough exercise at times. But that's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's, yeah. that's, the, that's, the, that's the curse of getting to 40 and everything starting to fall apart. So um, there we are. Um, well, thank you so far. And I just want to kind of finish up with two things. Really, like, I'm, I'm super grateful for you to be with us, but also, like, what's coming next for Sprout? You've talked about some big things, but, like, 
anything that's on the horizon. And, mm. and I always like to ask, is there anybody out there listening? How could they help you if there's an area that you're looking to help, get help with either from an insurer or investor or something like that? So yeah, yeah what's next that we do to help? What's what's next? Um, we're, we're forever growing. So we're expanding on existing global customers, attracting new customers, growing our team to meet the demand of the market, which is literally the, the hardest thing to do is that that kind of constraint right now is like, can, how can we grow fast enough and then get ready for a smashing series B next year and, and global expansion um, in terms of like, so that's a just pretty clear trajectory for us in terms of help. There's a couple of things you can do. So number one, introduce us to insurance companies. Number two, if you're an insurance company, buy our amazing product, make your life easier. Number three, introduce us to amazing talent all over the business, by the way. And four, if you're an amazing talent, come join us on the journey. We're, you know, it's 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 rough, but it's a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Wonderful. And you guys are based in yeah. London, right? So mostly you got your talent in London. We, we are, but we are we are region. I mean, we go talent over region. Mm. We've got people in, in Russia and Denmark and the UK and Holland. If you're really, really, really good, we don't care where you're from. Like, like, it's just come join this crazy ass super team. Mm. Talking about distributed working, maybe one for another day. Um, but um, certainly that's cool to hear. So if you're out there, folks listening to this and you're a, you know, a data scientist or someone, then uh, you can check them out, right? Sprout.ai. So um, finishing up, I like to do this with everyone. So is to ask about books, 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 books. So mm. um, as a learner, fellow learner, um, I would love to know like three books that you love that have helped you on your journey mm -hmm. that you use maybe just to have a bit mm -hmm. of fun with. Um, yeah. Mm. So tell us three books and what you like. I mean, I I love reading. Uh, I use it to learn. I use it to switch off as well. So I could go on for hours here. Um, bit of a geek. So so let's start start with like sci-fi. Uh, for me, why I do this job is basically to make sci-fi come alive. <laughs> that's really what it's about. I'm like, oh my god, imagine if we had this and if we had that. So so that that's that's a lot of fun. So for me, one of the sci-fi kind of trilogies that that for me was game changing was was the foundation trilogy by isaac asimov pretty pretty well known yeah, incredible sci-fi I, th I apple tv just made a series it, it's okay it's terrible i'm just happy let's not say it's okay yeah. it's absolutely terrible yeah but, you know let's not okay. go here there it's like when they when they made the the witcher <sighs> on netflix like I, I was still happy to see it but you know anyway so so that's sci-fi fantasy um pretty pretty standard here like silmarillion by tolkien absolutely kick-ass it's basically the birth of the world and everything pre-lord of the rings and the hobbit and it's just epic and the proportions are massive and it's just that's heavy holy a heavy shit. book so yes. <laughs> i love it i know it's dense but it's so if you think like lord of the rings is epic like this just it's off the charts um so silmarillion yeah. definitely record. and then in terms of some let's you know close off with something business uh for me the culture map um, is a great, great book. So basically, it's about how people do business and communicate in different countries uh, and and the, the different cultures. Very useful when you when you're building an international business with international and remote people. So, for example, a Japanese and German person will communicate very differently, and knowing mm -hmm. how to navigate those waters is pretty it's pretty damn useful. So, and it also comes with like an online tool that you can just give in two countries, and it shows you how they're different. By who? Who's that one? Erin Meyer. E R I N. M-E-Y-E-R. She's a professor at INSEAD, American lady living in France. So and it's quite a nice read as well. So I'd, I'd um, for people doing business internationally, I would I would definitely, uh, it's funny as well, man. Like I'm, I'm from a Belgian background, uh, one more thing, like I'm from a Belgian background. So Belgian Dutch culture, pretty, pretty direct, no context. And in England, it's quite a high contextual society as you call it. So 
I there was this chart there says what you know what English people say, what Dutch people think that means, what it really means, right? And I laughed so much because I've been making these mistakes for years. Like my chairman is an English person, lovely, lovely guy, and um, he would always say to me like on a call, like Niels, I would suggest that you do X Y Z, and then I I hear I would suggest this. Oh, thank you for your suggestion, but I think I'm gonna draw, I'm gonna do something else. And then I read in there like when English people say I suggest, they mean I you know you have to go and do this. Like there's stuff like. That, that I was like, oh shit! I've been making all these mistakes for years. Like, how, how am I still? How am I still here? <laughs> so um, I suggest you read it. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I'm gonna say, absolutely love. I love Dutch and British interactions, and there's quite a few in the city. So it's absolutely great. Yeah, I've got lots of good Dutch friends. Love a bit of sarcasm. So that's uh, that's great. Um, well, Neil, saying it's been a, a real pleasure, truthfully, a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for you know, being so honest and open about your journey, but also you're doing something really awesome with Sprout AI and I'm going to be, um, you know, following with interest what you're trying to achieve. Um, so yeah, anyone out there listening, um, you know, please reach out. Where, where can they find you? I know you're on LinkedIn um, or where else do you, are you active? LinkedIn, sorry, man. Like I'm, I'm, uh, I've got my head in the sand when it comes to social media. So, so LinkedIn <laughs> is the best place to find me. Um, yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, no, no Twitter no, no then. No Twitter. Um, no, not, not okay. really active on on Twitter. Um, so uh, just just ping me on ping me on on LinkedIn and and um, and we can you know we can have a chat. Brilliant. Well, um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks again, Nils, for your time. I really appreciate it. No, thank and, you. I'm um, super grateful to be here. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Take care. So if you enjoyed this episode, please remember to subscribe or leave a review on wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us. So thank you very much. We also have a newsletter on our website, talentequals.com. So you can keep up to date with all of the things we're doing here at Talent Equals and the amazing guests that we have coming up this year.